Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. I'm very happy that you're here today, and I believe that God's Word will meet you specifically in the areas that the Lord wants to build up and strengthen in your life today. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into your Word, we ask that your Word would have full entrance into our hearts, that the seed would go in producing the 100-fold return of a beautiful harvest in our lives that brings many, Father, to your Son, Jesus. Now we give you praise. We thank you for what you're doing. It's all good. In Jesus' name we pray, and we agree and say amen. Now, we're going to go to verse 18. And verse 18 is a central verse for any believer. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your anointing is, what your occupation is. What I'm about to share with you, trust me, is not just for ministers. Now, it would certainly apply to ministers, but even with the context, it's not necessarily being designated towards ministers. It's being designated towards believers. And what you're about to read and what you're about to hear and see is one of the core truths of the New Testament, and it's the heart that runs the engine. It's what makes movement in your life. And anything that's static, this will fix it right here and will certainly make it dynamic. Praise the Lord. We're talking about verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Getting drunk with wine is something that, you know, you can easily slip into. I think the legal limit is two glasses of wine, and you are legally drunk. And, you know, it's kind of hard to define where that point is where you pass from sobriety into a place where you don't have control, at least not full control, or it's a very delayed control of your your senses because they're impaired because of alcohol. So do not be drunk with wine in, it, in which is dissipation. The Weymouth translation says, in which excess is so easy. To be very, very careful with that. But be filled with the Spirit. Now we have a contrast between the dangerous element of what wine can do to you, being contrasted by the Holy Spirit, who in the Old Testament was typified or symbolized through oil and also through wine. But the thing with the Holy Spirit is that you can, in a sense, as we would say, drink of Him or have Him in you to a point where you're filled up and even, and even overflowing and it's a good thing. In other words, it's not like you can get too much. Like, watch out, you're getting, you're getting too much of God. <laughs> I know it's good. <laughs> so, this is something that we need to make central in our walk with the Lord. Do not be drunk with wine. We've got that part down. I think any believer would understand, yeah, God doesn't want you to be drunk. Uh, there's enough scriptures warning against that. But also, the focus here is being filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it's, it's the word filled, it, it means continually staying filled. And that's what we need to do as believers, praise the Lord. And so much of that being filled with the Spirit revolves around a very active prayer life. Now, a minister, a good minister, he, he shared the story of something that happened in his life that was very upsetting to him. Let me explain. This minister was teaching in a conference many other ministers and so you have all of these ministers that are in the conference, and this minister who's teaching, he uh, would be what we would call a very successful minister. So he's teaching all of the other ministries and ministers how to uh, have your ministry grow, how to develop your ministry, the things that you need to do. So in a sense, he was teaching them the, maybe we could call it the mechanics of ministry. 
You know, make sure that you are in contact with your, your partners and your and those that support you and uh, do this and do that. And you need this and you need that. And you have to implement this and you have to implement that. And trust me, I I know what all of that is like, um, where you have the mechanics of it and uh, it can get kind of silly. And so anyhow, he's telling them all of these things that they need to do to have what, you know, would be considered by people a successful, good ministry. And so he concluded his teaching, and he concluded the conference of having taught all of these ministers. You know, you got pastors there. You have itinerant evangelists. You have different types of ministry gifts that were there. He concluded by asking his elderly Pentecostal father to come up and close the, the, uh, the session and the conference with the prayer. <laughs> so this man's father, the preacher's father. So the preacher finishes. He asked his father, who was a very old man, but as an old time, old time, a Pentecostal preacher to come up and close the uh, session. So he walks up, the old man walks up, who's actually the father of this well-known minister. The old man walks up and he says to the whole group, the whole conference group, he says, everything my son has just got through teaching you. He said, you can dismiss all of it. You don't need to know any of that. All you need to do is this. Pray, walk real close with God, and know the leading of the Holy Spirit. He said, you can dismiss everything else. <laughs> and then, then he said a short prayer and closed the conference. <laughs> <laughs> and his son, the well-known minister, was really upset at his dad later. Dad, how could you have embarrassed me like that in front of all the, in front of all those people? Because he's like, well, you know, because it's true, you know. So uh, I know um, the hoops of ministry. Sometimes that the experts tell you that you have to jump through. You have to do all of this if you want church growth. And they have all these books and all these steps and all these rules and. Um, I had a pastor one time, a good friend of mine, he had a very large church, and he said, now, Stephen, if you want your church to grow, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna, the first thing that you're going to have to do is get one of those big blow-up inflatable balloon things that has the inflatable slide where the kids can slide down it and they can climb up it, you know, like these inflatable play forts and then inflatable play slides and you've got to have them out in front of the church and you have to do a big launch you have to promote the children's church you have to do all this stuff and he was like piling on so much uh, mechanics uh, like a giant machine operation that uh I was like, wow, I don't really know if this is my style. And he's like, but that's what the people want. You have to have all these bells and whistles or they won't come. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I really want those kind of people coming. <laughs> so <laughs> you and I are friends, but uh, kind of having uh, different trajectories in the sense of what we're really after as far as in results. And so these are things we have to really consider. And let me just say, I side with the old time preacher who really understood the true moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, you're going to need to implement certain things. There's practical things you're going to have to do as a minister uh, so that things run smoothly. You have good administration and all of that. But that's not the engine that runs it. The engine that's running this is your prayer life because we, we must be filled and stay filled continually with the Holy Spirit. And if you ever get away from that, you are operating below par of God's standard and God's best for your life. And you need to do whatever it takes to get back up to that. You have got to be filled with the spirit on a continual basis or this other stuff. When it's all said and done will evaporate and it will be burned up and will not be accounted or credited for anything. It will all be counted as loss. Praise the Lord. Now, let me say this in context with what we're covering right now. There's a whole generation of young people out there in the millions, not only in America, but also in North America and around the world, who are probably in more bondage, in more pits of despair than any other generation of youth that have ever walked the face of the earth. It is not uncommon to find young children in fifth grade that are suicidal, it is not uncommon to find children in junior high that are already, already heavily 
addicted to pornography. It's not uncommon to see teenagers with their whole arms slashed up and down the whole arm with razor blade cuts or knife cuts. And th this, this is, see, I'm, I don't live in a glass bubble. I see these things. I'm out there. I see the hurt. I see the grief uh, in their eyes and, and the hopelessness and despair uh, that so many are caught up in. And they're tangled up with the vilest, grossest, most hideous sins. And they have become acclimated to it and adjusted to it. And they have had heavy scales come over their eyes. And so what I'm trying to say is they don't need this is a generation of youth that doesn't need a pizza party. This is a generation of youth that doesn't need a Christian youth group that will send them off to Six Flags. They're in a different type of exposure. They have had so much exposure to so much awful stuff. And really, having lived a short segment of their life in a sense almost like a hell on earth, with mental torment and confusion and, and all of this stuff that the enemy has slimed them with and has thrown at them, they, they need to go into a place where they encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. And knowing Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, is not going to work in this type of situation. They're going to have to come to know the power of God and become totally sold out. And they will. They're going to. Something amazing is going to happen. And yes, we're going to have to have a lot of pizza on the scene to feed a lot of these hungry uh, people as they come to hear the gospel and to receive the anointing and to receive the teaching of God's word. But uh, th this is not party atmosphere. This is not like a lot of the youth groups, you know, uh, back in the 80s or 90s or the 70s where, you know, you sit around a little campfire, sing a song. And, you know, uh, uh, th this is we're, we're dealing with young people that have serious demonic problems. I call it what it is. A lot of these things are not chemical imbalances or hormonal problems. These are demon problems that these young people are dealing with. And there will be a selling out of their hearts to the Lord. But I must, I must address this. As we're talking about the core thrust of being filled with the Spirit. This harvest, are you ready for this? This harvest of these young people is going to be very expensive. And I'm not talking about money. It is going to be one of the most expensive harvests ever. Because... This is a generation of young people, those in their early 20s, those in their teens, and some even younger, that can see right through phony, baloney, hypocritical religion. And if they see phoniness, and if they see hypocrisy, they won't touch it. As bogged down in their sins as they are, as deluded and even deceived in some areas of not knowing right from wrong, for some reason they have the ability to see through religious facade. Well, Pastor Stephen, why will the harvest be so expensive? Because even if you're the Pied Piper, and you can play like the Pied Piper, the, uh, the story from the medieval ages of the town that like, hey, we got to get rid of all these rats. And the Pied Piper says, I can play a song on my, on my pipe and they'll, they'll follow me and I can lead them all out of the city. <laughs> and so here's the thing with this generation of young people. Should you have a Pied Piper anointing and you can play that pipe, that's only the beginning because they'll hear that sound. And that sound can be attractive, but if you play that pipe and you play that song, now you have to live that tune. And if you can't live it, if you can't live it, it's over with right then and right there. And that's the hard part. That's why it's so expensive. If you write a beautiful worship song and everybody says, oh, this is a song. This is wonderful. And they turn around and they see, they see the author and the performers. I shouldn't say performers, but the singers of that song. When the song says, come to Jesus, he'll give you peace. And you look over there, and the last thing you see is peace from the person who wrote the song. They'll, they'll take the song and tear it up and throw it away. They want anything to do with it. And they can see right through it, too. So if you play that pipe, and you are the Pied Piper, and the church has had some pretty anointed Pied Pipers before. 
and they could play the tune and the and it would just grab the people. But my friends, this generation of young people, um, if the piper himself is not living what he's playing or what he's preaching, it, it doesn't matter if gold bars far fall from heaven. It doesn't matter if there's the anointing to raise the dead. They don't care. They'll walk away from it. Why? It's fake because because we have to live what we're proclaiming. Praise the Lord. And so and even in politics in our nation, they see. They see political figures that get to where they uh, arrive at within these positions. They get there through a lot of bribery, through backroom deals, through corruption. And then, of course, when they get there, then they say, now, we almost obey the law of the land. <laughs> and people are like, well, you don't even you don't even obey the law of the land. You, you tell us to do this, but yet you go off and do exactly what you tell us not to do. And so it's total hypocrisy. And we have seen so much of that, not only in politics, but in, in the news and in, in the church, if we're honest, also in the church, that it has bred a contempt within the hearts of the young people where they're basically saying, we don't want it unless it is lived out. And there are those that can demonstrate it. And the only way there is no other way. The only way you can demonstrate it is to be filled with the Spirit. They don't want to know if you can speak Greek. They don't want to know if you can speak Hebrew. They don't care anything about that at all. That, 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 that's nice if you can. Maybe you're even uh, called by the Lord to learn that so that your studies can uh, go deeper in the things of God. But that, that's not what's going to move them. They don't want a history lesson. They want a living demonstration that the truths that you're proclaiming, you actually live by them. And that's why this harvest will be so expensive <laughs> because it's the easiest thing to say, do this and you shall live. <laughs> and then that means uh, you've also got to live it. Praise God. You've got to do it too. Mm -mm. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the only way it can be done is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking. Now, verse 19 goes right into speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you are filled and you are in the overflow you're going you're gonna to speak. You, you can't hold it in. I'm mindful of Jeremiah, the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 20. We see in verse 7 that Jeremiah was, he was upset because everybody's mocking him. And he's proclaiming the true prophetic word, but he's been ridiculed, scorned, made, made fun of. And so he's being mocked. He says in verse 7, everyone mocks me. So verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. So he basically said, Lord, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm just a laughing stock, and uh, I, I'm just going to stop prophesying. I'm going to be quiet. But you can't do that. When the touch of God is upon your life, and that anointing is there, and you're, the, the Spirit's all over you and in you, can't be quiet. Praise the Lord. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. So though, although he says he's not going to speak or prophesy, he says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. <laughs> so out it came, praise God. And that's what being filled with the spirit does. There, there is a time when you speak, but because you're full and you're in that overflow, now the words have life. Now the words have meaning. There are two monastic religious orders that although they don't have a vow of silence, they pretty much follow a rule of silence in the sense where they very rarely ever talk. There's two uh, men's groups that, you know, the, so the monks would belong to those groups. And there's one monastic order that's a, a woman's group. So those would be for the nuns where basically you only talk maybe like when you have a little uh, a meal together or if you take a little hike together with those in your community, maybe like on Saturday, and that's the only time of talking. And the other 98% of your life is quiet 
contemplative uh, work and thinking and prayer. So even while you're working, you're quiet. Even if your brother or sister is next to you, you don't talk to them. You stay quiet. <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, I couldn't last in one of those orders <laughs> because the moment the moment you get filled up, you want to shout hallelujah, glory to God. And uh, the moment you receive the touch and the moment uh, the spirit is moving, particularly with the anointing, the prophesy, woo, here's the fire, you know, and so there is that place. Praise God. And I understand and the intent of those orders, which is to, um, you know, endeavor to hear from God more clearly. But my friends, whenever there is a, a filling of the spirit, there will be a speaking praise to Lord, but we must be sold out completely to the Lord. And you're never going to get into that place without the Holy Spirit's help. And we need to be filled with the Spirit to a place of overflowing. We do see in the Bible the great emphasis that the Lord placed upon being filled with the Spirit through what we know as the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the evidence that comes with that, which is the speaking in tongues. Remember, the infilling of the Spirit is not something that you can see with your physical eyes. Well, then how do you know that you're, fi you're, you're filled? Well, uh, they could tell, oh, they're speaking in tongues. That is the outward manifestation, praise God, of the inward filling. Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all, they were all with one accord in one place. And I have been in that very room. They say it's the same room there in Jerusalem, the upper room, praise the Lord. And uh, every time we go there, I always ask for those that have not yet spoken in tongues, who've never been filled with the spirit to stand in a certain area in that same room. And I pray for them that Jesus will fill them with the Spirit. And uh, we've always had such wonderful outpourings of the Spirit right there in that same room. Praise God. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, there is the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, but you have to stay filled up, praise God, because... It's just like your your car. You know, your car can run out of gas, and if it runs out of gas, uh, you you can't go any further. So you fill up with gas. And for those of you with an electric vehicle, maybe you have a Tesla or something like that. Um, you know what? You want to charge that thing up, uh, not just halfway, but all the way. I mean, max charge it. So you have full power. Praise the Lord. Never want to see how low you can go and still somehow make it back to the charging station or just, you know, use all the gas up and let's just see if, how far we can go without actually running out and fill up right at the last minute. Mm, there's always something that will pop up uh, and it'll inconvenience, inconvenience you when you are in a negative situation like that. So always keep it filled. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We need those times. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, we saw that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But this is the Lord. Uh, telling the apostles, get ready, you know, position yourself for this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, that word witnesses in the Greek is uh, what we would know as our English word martyr. And I have to say that the Lord wanted them to stay there because they needed this baptism in the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, in a sense to be these living martyrs. And as we know, they ended up getting martyred eventually anyhow. So there is this selling out to the Lord, and you can't really be that witness, you can't really be that martyr without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so we need it, and we need to know how to bring others into it. Praise the Lord. And we need to be continually in prayer. I have to admit, I got so caught up in prayer before I taught this message, I actually lost track of what time it was. <laughs> I had to be notified, Pastor Stephen, you have to you have to record the message. 
<laughs> I was having such a good time. But that's part of the overflow. You want to get filled up. And then when you're filled, stay there until the overflow starts touching your life. And you actually want to minister out of the overflow. Being filled up is for you. The overflow is for the others. Praise God. But my friends, so much of your success in life is going to be absolutely centered around being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the best ways to do that is just by spending time with the Lord, primarily in prayer. And as you pray, and pray and bring your request before the Lord, the strength of God through the Holy Spirit begins to come into you, and you begin to get filled, you begin to get charged up, and you just stay in that zone. You stay in that walk, and if anything has distracted you or pulled you out of that, you need to fight with tooth and nail, whatever it takes to get back into that place where you know that place and you maintain that place. It's critical. It's vital. Praise the Lord. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a primary emphasis for each and every New Covenant believer. Praise the Lord. Now, when you are filled with the Spirit, the Word of God comes alive to you. We see something very illuminating in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's go to verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The spirit gives life. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can go through your entire Bible. It's almost like you can open up anywhere, and it's alive. It's all living. It's all alive. The Lord can take the most obscure Scripture from the Old Testament, and you can read it. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're like, you know, that's so good, I could live off that for a week. And you probably could. And you, you're just able to take the Word and chew on it and enjoy it. But... Without that anointing and without the Holy Spirit, it's dry. It's just intellectualism. And while it is good to read the Word and to have knowledge of the Word, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of theologians that are out there today that are not even born again. They don't even believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe that Jesus was sinless. But yet they're theologians and they are well-versed in what we would call the Scriptures. But it has no life to them. So you need the Holy Spirit to breathe upon the Word, praise God. And then it means so much to you, praise the Lord. Now, we also know that the letter kills in the sense that the, the law or the Old Testament, uh, you know, all the various requirements, rules, and regulations, it was actually intended for man to see that he can't keep them in the sense that it requires perfection, and there's nobody perfect. So the only person that actually kept every single jot and tittle of the law was Jesus, the Messiah. Praise the Lord, not only externally, but also internally obeying even all of the higher commandments. Not only, of course, not murdering somebody, but not having murder in his heart. So the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, uh, the religious leaders who rejected Christ, the Messiah, they missed the gift of God, and they had all of their focus on the temple. Because under the Old Covenant system, you had temple worship, and the presence of God was only on one place in the earth, and that was there in Jerusalem at the temple. So everything centered around the temple. But when Christ came, he came to, to bring a new and better covenant through the shedding of his own blood and the laying down of his life there at Calvary. But, my friends, uh, many of the Jewish leaders did not receive him. So later, after the Lord's uh, ministry is completed there at Calvary and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, 
and then he goes to heaven. Then the church is birthed, Acts chapter 2, and time begins to go by. And then in A.D. 70, when Titus, the Roman general, brought that uh, massive Roman army with all of those powerful legionnaires against Jerusalem, and circled it, and surrounded it, and cut off any going in or going out, and the siege began, well, we know the outcome of that. The temple was destroyed, and many of the Jews that were, of course, caught inside uh, of those walls and couldn't get out, they were all killed by the Romans. And eventually, with the temple uh, now completely destroyed and gone, the rabbis thought, well, what are we going to do? Because we were locked in orbit, in a sense, around the temple. Everything revolved around the temple because God was there. But, uh, you know, Jesus brought new teaching, basically, basically saying that the believer, uh, Paul the Apostle would unveil that revelation that the believer now is the temple of God. God dwells in the born-again child of God. So now the Jewish religious leaders, they have to reinvent an alternative system. They can't go back to the temple because there is no temple. It's gone. So basically, what was formed, or what was, maybe I could use the word cooked up, was what became known as Rabbinic Judaism. It was a replacement for the temple, which is no longer there. And it basically is this, in a nutshell. One of the leading rabbis said, well, we don't have a, a temple anymore, so what we're going to do is we're just going to begin to operate in good works. We're going to do works of kindness. We're going to bless people. We're going to do good to people. And by doing that, that will, in a sense, be like a type of atonement because we have no ability now to offer animal sacrifices for our sins. So this is now morphed into this thing where you have all these branches today of rabbinic Judaism, and you may think, well, Pastor Stephen, if they're out of orbit, what do they need to do to get back into orbit? And somebody might say, well, they need a temple. Uh, no, that's not what they need. They need Jesus. And the temple, which will be the third temple that will be built in the future, and we don't know when, but it's going to, get, it's going to be built, is that temple is certainly not the solution because that will be the temple that the Antichrist is going to come into. And we actually see that in the epistle of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, my friends, the solution is not the rebuilding of a temple, although that's going to happen. That, that uh, third temple is not going to turn out very good. Now, the fourth one I'm excited about, that will be the millennial temple, which the Lord will oversee that construction, and he will rule and reign in that temple in Jerusalem over the entire wor world. He will govern for a 1,000-year period. So, my friends, for the Jews that don't know Christ and for the religious Jewish leaders who don't know Christ, the answer for them is not some upcoming temple. The answer is Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. Praise God. My friends, you must be filled with the Spirit, or you can be led into all kinds of false doctrines, false teachings, uh, strange rabbit trails leading off the true path that go off into just um, emptiness, nothing but total emptiness. There are many doctrines of demons that are out there right now. You have doctrines that are trying to infiltrate the church, such as there is no eternal punishment. There is no such thing as hell. Well, let me tell you, there is. And it's worse than anybody has ever told you. It is uh, a place of great torment. And not only is there hell, which is the temporary place of punishment and torment, but then there is the final outcome of the wicked, which is the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And that is an eternal form of punishment. 
There's also other false teachings that are out there, such as Jesus is not really God, or Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, and all of these wrong teachings. But my friends, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because you may not be a walking biblical library, but with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, He will glorify Jesus, and He will lead you into all of the truth. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And let me say this, concerning being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never, will, will never fill a man or a woman who holds to these errors in false teaching. Jesus will never baptize a man or woman in the Spirit who holds to the false teaching that there is no hell. He'll never fill a person like that. Or maybe what we would call a Unitarian, those who believe that life just ends at the grave, and that's it. There's no heaven. There's no hell. It's just all over with. No, he'll never fill a person with the Spirit. You must first repent of your sins. You must come to Christ, accept him as Lord and Savior, and turn. Turn from all these false idols, false gods, and turn to the Lord. And then he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. There are many baby believers in the body of Christ. It's almost like they have scales on their eyes, and they are blocked from going further with the Lord because of uh, strange doctrines that have befallen upon them, maybe when they were young or something like that, or maybe through some kind of an event that transpired in their life. But because of that, uh, truth has become distorted. And until they're willing to recognize that as error, because it disagrees completely with God's Word, then the Lord will not fill them with the Holy Spirit. I've had very unusual situations in my life where I have witnessed people weeping and crying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they could not get filled. Why? They're not willing to yield to the Lord and do what He's asking them to do, which is to let go of something, to say no to something, to, um, to relinquish maybe something that they cherish, but yet is forbidden in Scripture by God. But when you're willing and you're ready to sell out and go whew, all the way with the Lord, boom, He'll fill you real quick with the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. But remember the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not the peak of Mount Zion. No, you're, it gives you the power to begin to go up the Mount of God into further and deeper revelation with the Lord. Look, I thank God for the Reformation in the 1500s, but I'm not camping in the 1500s. I thank God for the Methodists and others who are uh, guardians of certain truths and the Lutherans who are the guardians of, the, of that truth that we're justified uh, by grace and saved by grace through faith and the things that the Catholics have blessed us with and all of the various denominations, but truth is eternal. Truth doesn't change, but the understanding of truth is progressive. And you know what? We know a lot more today than what we knew back then. And it really, if we're honest, it wasn't until the 1960s when a preacher for the first time, I mean, maybe somebody did it before at a small little country church or something like that, but even then it wouldn't, it didn't, wouldn't have gone over very good, but it wasn't until the 1960s when a preacher stood up publicly on a large platform and said, God is good. And when he did, he was blasted for it by evangelicals and Protestants all over America. What do you mean God's good? Well, God will save us and take us to heaven, but he's not good. He'll give you a hard time down here, and he'll, he'll teach you lessons by putting you in a car wreck and all. And, but it was Dr. Oral Roberts who proclaimed without compromising or backing off, no, God is a good God. Now, of course, if you read the Bible all through the Psalms, it says God is good. <laughs> and those are songs that you're supposed to sing. God is good, not God is bad. I mean, if it actually said God is bad, he's going to put a whooping on us. And that was in the Psalms. I guess we'd have to put it to pen and start singing it. But that's not what he says. But for a man to stand up and proclaim that was a revelation that many didn't know. Now, today. Now, if you stood up today in church and said, God is bad, now, now, now people are going to go, no, we don't agree with that. The, the Bible says God is good. But it wasn't until the 1960s 
where that truth began to break forth in a greater in a greater light. And anywhere you go today in the world, you, you'll have you'll have no problem uh, stating that. And also, even uh, there are some who still don't embrace it. Uh, healing, divine healing is not really contested today the way it used to be back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, when we began to have these various Pentecostal movements, Welsh Revival, Azusa Street Revival, and things like that. And uh, uh, suddenly healing's back on again with undeniable, miraculous healings. And so it took took quite some time, particularly in the 1950s, for that to get uh, traction and get established as a truth. That's eternal, but progressively being unveiled. Now, certainly they had that in the first century. But my friends, the church in the first century was a church in its infancy. We must be maturing and growing and going onward and literally moving from faith to faith. Your faith level should not be where it was at last year. You need to be filled with the Spirit and go higher because you can. You can go to the top, praise the Lord. So we're going from faith to faith. We're going to go from strength to strength. And that's not necessarily talking about physical strength because eventually we are going to get older and you're not going to be able to. To uh, do what you could do when you're 22 years old. <laughs> that, that's okay. But this other strength of, of knowing God and your walk with God, that should be getting stronger every day, particularly year by year. Thank you, Jesus. And of course, we're also going from glory to glory. Hallelujah. And as a church historian myself, I love reading about the many different moves of the Spirit that have happened throughout the, the centuries of the church. And they're all beautiful and they're all wonderful. But church history, my friends, is still being made. When you read the book of Acts, you, and you read it from, from start to finish. When you get to the finish, you're just like, it didn't end right. It's like it just suddenly stopped and was supposed to keep on going. Yes, exactly. In a sense, it's supposed to keep on going because church history keeps on going because we are the church. We're still here and we're still making history. Praise the Lord. But in order to make it, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to make the right kind of history. We don't, leave, we don't want to leave a, a bad mark. <laughs> we want to leave a good mark, and we want to do what God has called us to do and reach that high calling. But let's be honest. We're not going to do it unless we stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And so while there's many things that we need to do, and we kind of need to watch and make sure everything is working the way that it should Don't ever drift, though, from the core central thrust that is necessary, which is the running of this engine, uh, which is being filled with the Spirit. Well, I prayed, Pastor Stephen. Well, but, but did you spend enough time in prayer to get filled up and get into the overflow? And that, that's where the real challenge is at, but that's where the real gold is at. That's where the real price tag is at. Now, you don't... Uh, have to be a minister to lean into this message and think, well, I've got to make sure I have an anointing. You need the anointing and the fullness of the Spirit to do whatever God's called you to do. Because whatever your career field is, that's where God has you at. And you are His eyes there. You are His hands there. His feet there. You are His heart reaching out with compassion and love uh, and, and grace and mercy to people. So you need the anointing. You need to be absolutely filled with the Spirit, doing in, with what God has called you to do, whether it's out on the oil field, in the nursing uh, area of the hospital, or the university professor. It doesn't matter. You need that anointing. There's hurting people, lost people all around you. Mm-hmm. But you'll also have that anointing to function, that unction to function. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You must be filled with the Spirit. When you're not, you know you're vulnerable. When you are not filled with the Spirit, it's like um, like these uh, space movies. You know, the shield is down. You know, shoot it now while the shield is down. (laughs) No, you need shields up. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And really, uh, I have found that the only way that you have consistency with this kind of walk and staying filled is you, you just have to just sell out. You just sell out, Lord, I totally give myself to you. And if it means I can't do this or I can't do that, I don't care. I want to be filled. I sell out completely to you. You know what? As a minister, 
I would like to have a ministry aircraft so we can have more flexibility in travel. Now, I know with COVID, everything's got shut down, but things are starting to open back up. But let me say this. I'd, I'd rather show up in a, uh, in a little bitty Volkswagen bug and be anointed than fly in with some, you know, uh, you know, real nice corporate jet and land. But I've been so busy trying to juggle all the mechanics of ministry, haven't been praying, and I've just been goofing off or stuff like that, and show up in a big plane, but not anointed. No, I'd, I'd take the plane and I'd throw it off of a cliff somewhere. If anything, I'm not going to let anything distract me. Uh, uh, and, and there are things that, are, that the ministry needs. There's things that the ministry even has a calling from the Lord to move into. But my friends, if we ever drift, myself or even you or, or those in the body with assignments and callings, if we ever get away from the core thing, all this other stuff's not going to mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like the old Pentecostal minister who walked up to close the convention and said, everything else that's been said and everything else has been talked about and everything else you've been told to do, you don't need to know any of that. You just need to pray, walk close with God, and know the leading of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that if any have drifted, lost in space, have drifted from the secret place, that they get back quick and they get their God gravity, your gravity of being in orbit around you. They get it quick. Thank you, Father. And they disconnect from any other substitute. Thank you, Father. Father, if there's anybody that's watching right now and they, they have felt blockage or they're wanting to come into something more, but there's hindrance. Uh, Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit will not fill a vessel that refuses to yield to your requirements. So, Father, I pray for any men, any women in those situations that want to be filled with your spirit to go on with you, that should there be a barrier, should there be an obstacle, a blockage, that they would deal with that and uh, they would talk that over with you and that they would lay it down. I thank you, Father, that when they're ready, you're ready, and they will surely be filled. Now, Father, we thank you. I ask for consistency, grace for your people, consistency to stay anchored in you because they do have very important assignments, more important than they know. Thank you, Father. Give them little insights into that. I know you can't give too much because it might shake them up a little bit. But, Father, give them insights into the... The great value of what their assignment is. Some think it's only something little. They're never going to make any kind of a ripple. Father, they have no clue. So, Father, speak to your people. Stabilize them and strengthen them and let them always be in that secret place being filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're intrigued about all of this stuff about filled with the Spirit, it all begins with salvation. If you would like to be saved and have Christ come into your heart, pray this prayer after me. Pray right now. Say, Lord Jesus, you died to save sinners just like me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I repent. I turn from my sins and I ask you to save me now. Come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. And Jesus, I take you as my Savior and Lord. I sell out for you now. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Praise God the Lord heard that prayer. You belong to him now. He will be giving you marching instructions. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Let's take Holy Communion together as a church family. Praise the Lord. Grab some unleavened bread, some grape juice. And if you're just watching, and since this is not your church family, maybe you belong to a local church somewhere else or something like that, that's totally fine. But if you still like to take communion with us, come along, praise God, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ who belong to the Lord. Grab some unleavened bread, some grape juice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. We consecrate it through this prayer and set it apart as holy. We thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive his body, we thank you that we proclaim his death till he comes, that because he died, all of our sins were placed on him, and we'll proclaim it 
every time we take this, thank you, Father, through this act. Thank you. We're justified by what he did for us. So, Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. We thank you. Let us be filled with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us receive the body. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, that on that cross, all of our sins were funneled upon him. Every person that lived in the past, at that time present, when he accomplished that work, and all those that would be in the future, such as ourselves, we thank you, Father, that all of our sins were placed upon Christ, and we say thank you. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his mercy. Father, if we have committed any sin, we ask that you would forgive us. And Father, if anyone has sinned against us, we completely forgive them and we bless them. Thank you, Father. We ask that you would lead us away from temptation and we ask that you would deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Father. Let us be found safe in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Praise you. Thank you, Father, for taking, taking your people, taking us to the top of Mount Zion. Thank you, Father. Let us not camp on certain plateaus, but let us keep moving. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. Truth is progressive. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. In his name, amen. Let's receive. I see many of you, you're going to break through into a new level. You're going to go from like, what, what will be considered a casual jogger to a runner. And you're not just like jogging. Suddenly you're like, this, this is, I feel fluid. I feel like, yes, you, you've gone into a different realm. And I see you running with the Lord. Praise God. Get ready. When you come into the fullness of the Spirit, you come into what? Visions and revelations of the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to take you into. Praise God. That's why you need to be filled with the Spirit. So you can go into further insights of Christ. Visions and revelations of, see, not just visions, revelations. No, visions and revelations of the Lord. Praise God. Get ready. It's coming. Father, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. See you back next time.